0: Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to The Daily Evolver. It is Wednesday, February 10th, 2021, and I am happy to be with you today. Got a bunch of stuff I want to cover. I'll start with um, the big news. I I think that I, like many of you, have been probably spending too much time (laughs) watching the second impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, It is history in the making and fascinating and worth the time if you have it for sure. But I must say, I, you know, I'm watching it with a certain resignation, a certain disappointment that it doesn't look like there's going to be any big Hollywood epiphany here or, you know, some great uprising in the Senate where truth prevails and the outrage that Trump committed is roundly condemned as a message to the world and a warning through history to all the Trumps to come, that no person is above the law and all that good stuff. And that's my fantasy. It's a lot of people's fantasy, fantasy for people modern and above, I would say in terms of development. Uh, But reality is far more interesting, I hate that, and challenging. And, um, you know, we realize that these political structures that we think are solid and real and grounded in something, you know, the Constitution, the rule of law, right and wrong, that they're, you know, reliable and solid and rooted. And really, they're like, more like those floating rigs in the ocean, like where they pump oil or they have the solar collectors. And, you know, they're subject to all the currents and waves and sometimes a storm brews and comes and knocks it around. And we can see as we look through history and even, you know, the world today, that the less sturdy of these structures, like in Myanmar, for instance, they can collapse pretty easily to authoritarianism and the earlier structures, basically, which are authoritarian until you get to modern rule of law. But the more sturdy ones, such as our US system, so far at least, endure. And we have just endured a mighty stressor. And it's still really hard for me to wrap my head around what happened. Since the election, but of course, culminating in January 6th, where we have a sitting U.S. president intent on stealing an election, incites a mob to storm the Capitol to interrupt the election certification by a co-equal branch of government. You know, I, like I said, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. I think it's hard for people to wrap their head around. And I have to say that uh, w- even if we don't get the result that I want, that the House prosecution is doing a beautiful job of prosecuting this case. I was, as everybody, I mean, I I, I, I saw it on Newsmax. I saw it on um, uh, Fox News. Everybody was struck by the first House manager and the video that they played. And they played it on Newsmax, you know, right? All of it where it's juxtaposing Trump and the mob and his role in starting and not stopping and celebrating this mob. And, uh, and so we watched this video. And the line that still rings in my head is the house manager, the prosecutor, I'm forgetting his name, uh, but he was great. Uh, he looks out and he says, if that's not impeachable, then nothing is. And boy, that was a pow right in the kisser. Then there was Joe Neguse, my congressman. I think that reflects well on me because he was also very good. (laughs) He has an integral vibe. I've met him a couple of times and um, I really, really like him. I wanna know more about him and it was fun seeing him yesterday. And he came on and he made an equally compelling case in terms of the intent of the founders who wrote the Constitution, and laid out the case perfectly that the actions of Donald Trump were exactly what impeachment was called for—that pe- that one could be impeached after uh, one left office—and I thought it was a well, very well-made case. You know, will it win the day? I don't know because we still have Trump's people coming on, and so we have Trump's <laughs> lawyers come on and. Present the most ragged and rambling defense. Um, it, it has been panned by everybody. They were furious at him at Newsma- on Newsmax. You know, just that what a blown opportunity, particularly the first Trump lawyer. So, you know, there we are, case closed. The rules are clear, the intent of the rule writers is clear, and it's time to vote. No. But yes, I mean, it passed, uh, fortunately. So the impeachment will go on. That's what they were voting on, should it go on or should it not. But 44 Republican senators, including Mitch McConnell, voted against proceeding, signaling, I think, what they're going to do with the, um, you know, with the impeachment itself. So, you know, in this case, the structure gives way to the liquid political waves and eddies and turbulence that it's floating in. And, um, and it's, you know, it's, it is challenging. It's unattractive. It's, you know, it's the hypocrisy that, you know, we, we, we see each side and I, I'm a big both sides are, I am. I mean, uh, they're, they're different. Uh, the, the left has a higher complexity The right has a higher sort of homogeneity. Uh, So they have different ways of fighting and so forth. But they both, you know, it's like, yes, this rig is floating in this turbulence, but it's also rooted. You know, it's like these rigs that do float. They're actually chained to the bedrock beneath the ocean floor. And that bedrock is what we're, you know, I've never seen anything better than integral theory for describing what that is, which is the worldview, you know, the identity of, the, of, of each of us. We each have this rooted bedrock worldview slash identity from which our opinions flow. And so we can fight for this reading or that reading of the Constitution. We can fight for the deficit or for the spending or for the you know, foreign policy. Uh, we could be justice must be done. some people, you know so the, you know, now the justice must be done crowd is the, oh, let's just forget about it. Let bygones be bygones crowd. Let's just move on. Forget about Trump or you know, or whatever Pander continue to pander to him, simply because in our two-party system, these um, the senators, for whom their senatorial career must mean a lot, because, you know, they could do other things. They, you know, they don't have to keep those jobs. I don't quite get the holding on to it. I, you know, at any rate, I don't want to psychoanalyze the Senate too much, but, you know, the system does survive all of this. <laughs> that, bedrock is, uh, that bedrock is solid. Actually, it's not solid either, but we'll maybe get to that. I mean, maybe I'll just sort of go off on a little tangent right now. And you know, it's the teachings uh, that I learned in my Masters of Divinity program at Naropa, the Buddhist program, and it's the teachings of Trumpa, uh, Trumpa Rinpoche, who talks about how there's really never any place to relax there's never anything that's solid. Everything is in motion. And he and he would use this example that would just hit me right between the eyes. Uh, and it, he would say that there's no way that you can just go and sit with your little Time magazine and read it and every, everything's just going to be fine and okay. You know, and that's the way the world is. And as someone who would go and read his Time magazine with just that attitude, I remember that being a bracing teaching. So there is that. There's, there's that ultimate truth that things are just nothing solid, really. This whole thing's a verb. We're verbs, you know. But um, you know, it 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 the 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 system does survive, and um, you know, our identities are very, and again, nothing like integral to me for understanding the progression of the evolution of these identities. And, you know, just how powerful they are, not not in what you think so much as in how you think and what you pick up. It's like, I could listen to a QAnon guy all day talking about the pedophile pizza parlor, and I'm just not going to believe it. It's just not going to you know, makes sense. And that's true of most people modern and above. But for people who are at that stage of development where things are more mythical than rational, or more magical than rational, so that would be the red stage, or, and the traditional stage, the, the blue stage in spiral dynamics, amber stage in aqual theory, uh, that those stages are not subject to reason, in the way that the modern worldview is. And I I saw a perfect explanation of that. People are really getting hip to this. this whole idea of tribal politics being the ultimate, you know, determiner is really a great realization that a lot of people are having in the culture. And um, one of them is uh, Bill Maher. And I use Bill as an example of, um, you know, He has a lot of proto-integral qualities, and, you know, his main qualification for that designation is that he, I don't want to say hates, but he calls out uh, vociferously both the extreme left and extreme right, and I think that right then, if you get that going, that you have somebody who's extra interesting, and so he is, to me— And I'm going to play a clip from his show where he talks about the religious aspects of Trump and Trumpism. And um, so here it is.
1: We might as well be honest about what it's really about. The events of January 6th were a faith-based initiative and Trumpism is a Christian nationalist movement that believes Trump was literally sent from heaven to save them. It's right there in Senator Tommy Tuberville's campaign ad. God sent us Donald Trump because God knew we were in trouble. All
0: right, and I'll continue in a second. I just wanted to make the point that because I just can't play the whole thing, that I'm going to talk a little bit about what he said uh, in between, and I'll play a couple other, I think, significant clips. So he goes on to say, Bill does, that there's a lot of talk now in liberal circles about how Republicans should tell their base who still believe the election was rigged that they need to grow up and move on and stop asking the rest of us to respect their mass delusion. And of course, it is a mass delusion. And, And then he goes on, and I'll
1: But the inconvenient truth here is that if you accord religious faith, the kind of exalted respect we do here in America, you've already lost the argument that mass delusion is bad. Please, magical religious thinking is a virus and QAnon is just its current mutation. It's the same basic plot. Q is a prophet, Trump is the Messiah, there's an apocalyptic event looming, the storm. There's a titanic struggle of good versus evil. And if you want good to win, just keep those checks coming in. We need to stop pretending there's no way we'll ever understand why the Trump mob believes in him. It's because they're religious. They've already made space in their heads for shit that doesn't make sense.
0: And then he goes on and he talks about how, you know, it's fun for everybody to laugh at the lizard people in the pedophile pizza parlor and, and then he says, but have you ever read the book of Revelations? And, of course, Revelations is in the New Testament. It's the, Bi- the last book of the Bible. And in the Revelation, and he talks and he shows illustrations that they've got a seven-headed dragon and, uh, with the body of a locust and the face of a man and the teeth of a lion. And the book of Revelations will tell you exactly where the world ends in Megiddo, Israel, where all the armies of the world will gather, and Jesus will come down on a flying horse shooting swords out of his mouth, and that will initiate a thousand-year cosmic battle with Satan and the beast and the Antichrist. And, um, and that's true. That is in Revelations. And of course, Christianity has all sorts of non-rational beliefs, walking on water, water into wine, uh, rising from the dead, uh, all of it. Uh, the Old Testament is full of that sort of thing, too. Every religion is. Again, these are pre-modern mythic structures of consciousness that are doing their best to make sense of the world at the time that they're coming online. And, you know, so anyway, he, he goes on and he talks about how the, um, the 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 rioters were doing all sorts of religious demonstrations, were lots of Jesus 2021 flags, and... Um, you know that this was, in fact, a religious uprising, and then at the end, he it helped this was good. He, he drove some of this home for me too, in a way that I hadn 't really put together. But this last part is, I thought, significant in another clip here.
1: it's not a coincidence that every senator who objected to certifying the electoral vote in Arizona is an evangelical Christian.
0: Yeah, interesting. And he shows their pictures, and you know it includes Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. And I've learned more. I I I knew Cruz was an evangelical Christian. I sort of doubted his sincerity because of his oleaginous personality, but he just may have a bad personality. (laughs) He may really believe it. Um, There's a spectrum of bad personality, I think. And uh, you know he he he's definitely wanting there. Uh, but Josh Hawley is a committed evangelical christian and we know people like this i do who i can think of two in my life that i've known for decades and i we did all kinds of stuff together and we had lots of fun together we went to college together that were smart and the whole time you know although earlier in our lives it was sort of under the current but they are religious evangelical Christians now as adults, and grandfathers now, but they are um, very smart, very devout people. And uh, it's interesting to see that, you know, it's almost, you know, integral. Maybe it is proto-integral in a certain kind of way, where you can hold both, but the heart, you know, the heart is religious and mythical. You know, it made me more sympathetic to these Republican senators, that if to the degree that they are committed Christians, then I'm sympathetic, because that means that they're sincere, you know, they're, they're sincere traditionalists, rather than opportunistic red warriors, if you will, which is the stage before traditional, that's a stage before the blue-orange stage, and that's where Trump is, where, you know, you use religion as a, another tool in your power toolbox, and you don't believe it, you don't disbelieve it, whatever. It's there for you to use, and that's, that's lower, you know. And so, I, uh, you know, I've often wondered on the show to what degree Trump may have actually got some religion in a certain egocentric way, or egocentric religion is that God is my superpower. And religion is my superpower, and to the I don't know with Trump. He's too uh, fractured of a personality for me to know, and he will be forever interesting, I suppose. Even though I resent every moment that he absorbs of my time. Anyway, so there you go. So there's Bill Maher, and and Bill Maher basically he's you know he's as a lot of people do he's confusing correlation with causation. He's saying that religion is the virus that infects people in politics, making them non-rational, you know, when in integral reality, these are stages of identity and worldview that out of which both religion and mythic politics emerge. So again, it's this worldview and identity that is prior to Both, and I think you know, uh, integral helps us to see that. But I do want to shift a little bit. I I actually want to play another clip from the show, but this is a clip of uh, one of his uh, guests, Charlotte Alter, which uh, who I'll get to in a second. But there is a, you know, when when you ask what is motivating, how, how can you know, even 30% of the population or whatever it is now, 60 some percent of Republicans still think that Donald Trump is right and ought to run again and that the election was stolen. And again, you know, Bill points out that these are, I think, pre-rational people, uh, at least in their hearts. And um, but what motivates them, and I've talked about it a a lot on the show, is basically a resistance to the progressive worldview. That's really the most important thing. They, if, if you see the world as a battle between good and evil, and they do, and you see something like the sexual revolution, start and stop there, you know, where premarital sex and pornography and this culture of sex and uh, movies and pop music and the breakdown of the family, and the breakdown in the family and the minority communities—all and all of that. And you see that as—you don't see that as good. You don't see that as progress. And that's not to mention the other ways in which progressive culture has ruthlessly won the culture war and relegated religion and patriotism to quaint at best and, you know, sinister at worst. And that's, you know, that's they see that as a cultural juggernaut that they have to use any means to fight against, including, you know, finding their own King Kong or Godzilla or whatever Trump is to them. Maybe that's what he is to them. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, you know, the biggest heresy it, it traditionalism, of course, traditionalism fights all kinds of heresies of, of other traditionalists and pre-traditionalists who are using magic, magic has to be stamped out and idol worship and all of that sort of thing. We melt down the golden calf at the traditionalism. But the biggest heresy, of course, as we see the evolution of things, is the next stage that comes out of traditionalism, which is modernity, which is rationality. And, um, you know, rationality is the biggest heresy if you look at it historically. And it makes sense because rationality is like an acid wash to religious faith. It just dissolves it. You know, you could explain everything in terms of natural processes uh, that don't require an angry God or a jealous God or any of that kind of stuff. And again, that's not seen as progress for religious people who live in an enchanted world where this world is not their home, where they are a precious child of Almighty God who sees them and loves them, and, um, and they don't want to explain that away, you know. And people who get too modern too fast, particularly if you think historically, pay the price. And you can ask Socrates, you can ask Galileo, uh, Spinoza, you know, h- h- I don't know how many people, you know, were burned at the stake for uh, it, it canceled. Let's say that you know, talk about cancel culture. The evolution of cancel culture is that you know, if you step out of line in a traditional society, you are canceled, and sometimes at the stake. Um, so you know, every stage has its thought police. We have an evolution of the thought police, of evolution of politically correct speech, evolution of heresy, and modernity has its as well, and I've talked about it on the show, but it's important to realize because we think of modernity as sort of this neutral space where everybody gets to believe what they want and it is. It's amazing that that happens, that we don't have to believe anything anymore. Uh, our own inner world is our own, I and mean, we still have to follow the rules and so forth, the laws, uh, but um, our inner world is our own. But still, if you, you know, bring religion into an office, uh, or you argue for a position in your company that, that is, where the basis of your argument is, God told me to, in a burning bush, then you see how quickly you are marginalized—not burnt at the stake. But not taken seriously and seeing it be your suspect. And, you know, and that's in, in a way, it's modernity's job is to ring the superstition and the brutality of the earlier systems out of the, you know, ring it out. But they also ring out the enchantment. And so this, this is sort of the thought police of modernity where God is not really allowed in or spirit and that sort of thing. So, um, so then, green comes along, and green wants to reenchant the world in a way. You know, they 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 don't want to just be completely materialistic as the hard modernists, the hard rationalists do, and so they soften the hard materialism by bringing in the world of psychology, introspection. These are all. This is all the emergence of green. This whole inner world. And, of course, all the wild and woolly experiments in religious practice, you know, you could kiss all the frogs—I did, you know, I have, and continue to. And, you know, don't ask me to surrender to any one of them. You know, spiritual but not religious, that's the sort of byword of green. So I was just gonna say, I'll just cut it to the the quick here, that Integral is, is coming online And it allows us to bring it all back, in a way. Um, We can be spiritual and religious at integral. And in fact, if the tier theory, T-I-E-R theory, first tier and second tier, of spiral dynamics is right, then early integral is not—we're talking yellow or teal, depending on the uh, system—and turquoise, which is later integral are like the move between beige and purple. So it's like we're, we're now in the hunter-gatherer phase of this new world where we're, we don't know what the structures are. We don't know what the rules are, but we know that we have this whole banquet in front of us and we can indulge and make sense of it and, you know, it's all good. So um, I, I wanted to talk about the... Integral heresy for a minute and just show another clip from the Bill Maher show. And this is a young woman that he had on the show, Charlotte Alter. I don't believe I've seen her on the show before, but she's a young intellectual. And she wrote a book called The Ones We've Been Waiting For How a New Generation of Leaders Will Transform America. So they're talking on the show, I'll set the clip up a, a little bit. They're talking about the controversy around the actor Army Hammer, and how he has been canceled by Mean Green now. Mean Green is post-modernity progressives, and it's the whole cancel culture that we're all aware of, and we think it's the only cancel culture in the world and the only one to ever exist. But, of course, every stage has it. That's my point. So, anyway, he's been canceled because uh, former girlfriends have released video uh, texts of him where he's talking about eating their ribs and, you know, sort of a cannibalism fetish. I don't think uh, anybody, there was any uh, human flesh ingested. But at any rate, I, I don't know all the details. They didn't seem to either. <laughs> but they were talking about, Bill particularly, was talking about how, you know, awful it is that these people are... You know canceling statues of Lincoln and all of the you know excesses that we all know about from green cancel culture and so here she responds to him as he bemoans this and I think she has an integral response and I think you can see the problems that arise from it so here we go
1: men for very understandable reasons are now tremendously anxious um, and i completely understand why there's a tremendous amount of anxiety that their sexual behavior could get them completely uh, shunned from society but guess what women have had to deal with yeah, that's that, a good, yeah. that particular anxiety that the way they behave sexually could ruin their life for literally millennia of course. so the idea that there is now suddenly consequences that might feel and I, I agree are very unfair for the way for you know given that it's you're right it's possible this was consensual but I think you have to look at it in a broader context of of you know women have had to ponder the uh, extraordinary consequences of sex for all of human history and now men are getting a taste of what but the, I mean that is all true I don't know what it has to do with what happened last year with Army Hammer
0: Okay. That's interesting, huh? So what she's saying, she's pointing out something that is true and seen when you have an evolutionary view. And that is, yes, we have a cancel culture. Yes, it causes real suffering, anxiety. Uh, There are some people who are hurt and ruined by it. Uh, There are perhaps a few, a handful that are killed as a result of it. And if you look at the history of cancel culture, it, we are at a far more uh, uh, peaceful and um, uh, decent stage. This cancel culture, as bad as it is, and it's bad, it's horrible, is less bad. And so the only thing you could say is, as bad as it is to have people canceled, or, you know, 100 people canceled, is to have 10,000 or a million Uh, And and when canceling means being killed or starved or shut out of society, it's way worse than losing your reputation, which is also bad. So it's this sort of evolution of bad, from from worse to merely bad, that is a tough argument to make. People don't really find it that inspiring. Uh, And so it, it, you know, that It's my cross to bear because I'm doing it all the time. I just had a uh, back and forth with a friend who listens and, you know, he sees the world quite differently. He's very um, allergic to green cancel culture. And he wrote me an email where he surveyed thought leaders from all over the place, you know, from J.K. Rowling to Andrew Sullivan to this one to that one. And he came up with a list of adjectives that these people use to explain our cultural moment. And these are mostly critics of cancel culture. You could find these words. I'm going to read the list of words he sent me that they use. You could read these same words from the left critiquing the culture as well. Uh, The more corporate culture, or the racist culture, or the white supremacist systemically racist culture. They're all, you know, both sides use these words. And here they are horrible, horrific, horrendous, mad tribalism, ghastly, hideous, malignant, awful, terrible, atrocious, dreadful, repulsive, vile, abhorrent, foul, disgusting, etc., etc., (sighs) etc. And yes, you know, anytime somebody's suffering, anytime somebody is being treated unfairly, it's all of those things. And I do just want to note that in the evolution of how we cancel and oppress each other, it's a way better ball game now, and I just think that's worth noting. And I think it's a antidote to the relentless. It seems through all time, dishing out of this sort of self, collective self-loathing, that is dished out by cultural critics um, for all time. Again, I mean, I can go back and history and, and you know, every, you know, if you want to be a cultural critic, make sure you loathe the culture that you're in, you know, and I think it's time to add this other piece and that that changes everything because you see that we're in a living system that is evolving towards, you know. Yeah, we're still fighting, but we're fighting our way forward, and it's not pretty, but it's beautiful, and that we are, we, we are locked in a cycle of collective self-loathing, which if we had it for ourselves as individuals, if we talked about ourselves and to ourselves the way we talk about our culture, then we would want to go to therapy so we could fix that and stop, uh, you know, all of the negative self-talk. So let's stop the negative self-talk. I don't know if you can stop it, but you know, let's at least add this other piece. So is that anything else I wanna prattle on about? (laughs) Yes, I have all kinds of stuff here, but we'll wait. It's been, um, you know, we're well over a half hour and uh, I think that's enough integral for one day. So uh, I appreciate you tuning in. I encourage you to join me and you know, send this out, recommend it, and like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and subscribe to YouTube. And if you uh, haven't already, become a member of Integral Life, uh, which is the company that sponsors this podcast. And by the way, I've been doing it for 10 years, I think this month and uh, through Integral Life, and I appreciate them very much, and I encourage you to check them out. All right. Thanks, folks. See you next time.